Welcome to the 88th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. In the last few installments of Ear to the Ground, we heard excerpts of a presentation on decision-making given by organic farming pioneer Atina Diffley during a recent session of LSP's Farm Beginnings course. In this fourth installment of Diffley's presentation, she talks about ways of comparing options when conducting long-term decision-making on the farm. So, I want to just talk about brainstorming a little because when you have a really big question or a really big problem, sometimes it's really important to not move too quickly into looking at your options. I mean, this can help you define what the question is. It can help you think outside of the box. A lot of times, the best solutions really are outside of the box. There's some real standard rules to brainstorming. So when you're brainstorming, you're trying to generate a lot of ideas. It really doesn't, they don't all have to be good ideas. The point is that you're trying to generate a lot of ideas. And it's a situation where you usually want a lot of people's input, and you want people who have different ways of thinking. And then my husband and I, who's my business partner, I know he's a really smart person, and I know he's a really good thinker, because he makes really good decisions. But I don't understand his process. I really don't know how he gets from A to B. I see him get there, but I don't know how he does it, because we think so differently. And this is our strength. When we sit down, the two of us, to make a big decision, we put really different ideas out there. And he goes, wow, that's really an interesting idea. I go, where did you get that one? Um, But it really gives us some diversity and multiple perspectives, and that's really very, very powerful. So when you're doing a brainstorming, you really just want to get everybody's ideas, and you want to write them down on a piece of paper. And no idea is crazy. You just encourage everyone to, you know, you put the question up there or whatever it is you're brainstorming on, and you write down all the ideas. You don't discuss them in the process. You don't say, that's crazy, that'll never work. You just get those ideas down and praise someone if you've got a shy person in the group. You encourage them, well, what are you thinking? And when they say, have the courage to say something, say, oh, that's great, thank you for you know, contributing. Really bring everybody out, include everyone's ideas. And really suspend your assumptions and beliefs for, for a period of time while you're gathering all the information. Then, once you've got a bunch of ideas, then you start having a discussion and information gathering. Um, and then you decide how you're going to take it from there. Did you give me that handout with the broccoli information? I So what I did for you was, at one point, um, we were going through a process where we were growing. When we first moved to our new farm, we were still growing about 40 or 45 different vegetable crops. And we were serving a wholesale market and our roadside stand. And then when we moved to our new farm, we were 30 minutes away from our roadside stand. We kept our roadside stand. We kept our wholesale accounts. But we sort of shifted as far as our main focus. And I mentioned earlier that our soil types changed so much when we moved. Um, so we had to make some really big decisions. And we got to a point where we were recognizing certain crops didn't do well on our new farm, and other crops did very well. And we were recognizing that we felt we were too diverse, and that we were going to change <coughs> what our farm looked like, and that we were going to be a less crop-diverse farm. Other things that were going on outside, like our awareness of trends, was that there were a lot more organic farms coming into the market. Before that, there really weren't many other people doing it. And so we had this awareness. That's a trend. There's more organic farmers coming to the market. So that's filtering in, coming to in, helping drive our decisions. So we have to make this decision about what we're going to grow. And in the brainstorming, we came up with a number of ideas. And one of them that was that we're going to really narrow our crop focus. 
and that broccoli would be one of our key crops. So we wanted to get a lot of information on broccoli before we actually made this decision that we're going to actually give up all sorts of crops. We know that other organic farmers are going to swoop in and pick up that market and it would be pretty hard for us to get it back. In fact, we actually went so far in some of our crops to work with the, the new farmer who's going to be growing them for the Twin Cities Organic Farmers uh, Co-op Market and actually give them all information, our spreadsheets, advise them on varieties, advise them on how much product they're going to need. So we really knew we were giving them up. We set someone else up to do it. So we wanted to really be sure. We wanted a lot of information. And this is a sheet of the information we gathered to make this decision about, are we going to really put broccoli down as a major portion of our crop? It became approximately 25% of our gross income at, at that point in time when we changed, made this decision to really have a lot of broccoli based on a number of factors, based on the scale of the market, the fact that it was in the top five sellers, often the top number one seller in the produce departments. So we were shooting for this volume crop. Um, we're mechanized, so we knew we could grow it in a mechanized fashion that would be not as labor intensive for the production. Um, we had the right soil for it. We actually have a problem where our broccoli gets too big, turns into these bushel baskets. Um, so we gotta, you know, keep an eye on it. So we wanted to collect a lot of information. And I put this together to show you, not because I expect you to grow broccoli, but I wanted you to get a concept of what kind of information you would be trying to gather if you're making a major decision about a crop like this. And we're not gonna <coughs> spend a lot of time going through it right now, but some of the things, you know, like what are our broccoli's cultural needs? We know it needs high fertility, and we knew we had that from our soil types. A lot of these things, if you're a beginner farmer, you would be able to answer them very easily. And we have had a lot of experience at that point. This was maybe 2001 when we were making this decision. So when Martin started in 1973, he had 29 years of experience. We didn't have to look up any of this information. We just had to organize it. If you're growing for five years, broccoli, you should be able to answer most of these questions. And it really illustrates to you this concept, you know, as organic farmers, we're not doing input substitution. We're not just saying, well, if it was chemically grown, we'd use this, this, and this chemical, and so we'd use this, this, and this product organic. We're really doing a knowledge-based system. And that's how much information we needed to be able to pull off a good broccoli crop. So you want to be able to collect this information and identify what information you really need to collect. Anybody want to ask any questions about that? Earlier you were talking about asking questions and those type of things. And, um, <coughs> and you were talking about the diversity of how people understand words, uh -huh. local versus organic. When you're creating your questions and you run into this problem, which has happened to me all this last year, where I'd ask a question and as I'm getting the answer back, they're not even close to where I was hoping the answer would come from because apparently I asked the question correctly. How do you edit that when you're writing your questions down? How do you critique that as you're writing your questions? How did you come to the conclusion you were writing the wrong question? Uh, by getting it uh, a simple question like what's two plus two and, and they would give me an answer of five. Um, in other words, you would ask them a question about a topic and um, they would be covering the answer in the subject opposite or different than what you were asking to. someone else the question? Yes. Trying to communicate information out as far as trying in to your group, within your shareholder group. Yes. Maybe you have to get them involved in what the question is. Okay. 
so that they have a better understanding of what the question is and crafting the question as the group all together instead of one person coming in with a question saying this is the question. I would maybe come in and say, this is what I see, this is what I see is the problem, this is the event, this is the fact. You start with that observable data, figure out what emotion's around it. My God, if I squash my guard with tornado, I think it's going to be some emotion. You know, and kind of get that written down. Sometimes, you know, on the other thing, on that emotion stuff, to get that out of the way, sometimes that emotion is so strong, you really can't just set it out of the way. Um, one way that can be done is to actually write it down and exaggerate it, especially if it involves any kind of blaming of another person. So just write it down. You know, you always, always put the shovel where I'm going to step on it. You know, it's probably not really true. Probably exaggeration. But if you write it down and really get the emotion out, oftentimes then you can talk about it beyond you realize, oh yeah, that's really not true. It's a little ridiculous once you exaggerate it. And you get kind of down to what you're really thinking about. But I'm thinking maybe if, if you didn't have <coughs> question making, that might really help. People need ownership to understand things oftentimes. Last year when we put this in here, I taught this class last year, and we had some examples later where people could bring questions up. And this was really a useful one. Martin and I do this pros and cons thing a lot. We try to look at things from multiple sides, you know, because a lot of things that are strengths are weaknesses, and a lot of times the very thing that's a pro is also a con. Um, and this is a place where I often do the take the big emotion out. When we did this in a class once, a couple came up with a problem. They, they were really having a hard time making this decision. And we've put out these pros and cons, and they had way, way more pros. They had a long list of pros. They only had like one con. I thought they really want to do this. But they had this big emotion about liability insurance, that they didn't have liability insurance, so they thought they shouldn't do it. And it was really emotional for them. I could see there had been some conflict between them on it, which made the emotion more. Um, so I suggested, okay, well, let's just pretend you have liability insurance. That's not the issue at all. You don't even have to think about that. Now make the decision. They decided not to do it. I was like, I was surprised. I thought they were going to decide to do it once I took that out. But they were so blinded by the conflict and the emotion about them not having liability insurance that they actually couldn't get down to what their real issue was. And once they got down to their real, once that was out of the way, they realized they only wanted to do it because they felt guilty and they felt they had to do it. They had this sense of, you know, it was an issue where they had this sense of moral obligation. And so once that was out of the way, oh, we were using the liability insurance as an excuse to not see what's really going on here. So, you know, if the person you're making decisions with is tense or there's emotion, you can, you can spot it if you can stand emotional enough yourself to do it. Um, that can be really helpful. Yeah, so I, that's what I'm doing with my grandson right now. I have him write down why he should wear the blue shirt, why he should wear the pink shirt. And, you know, really, he can write down all these reasons why he should wear each of them. <laughs> and then I say, well, what is, what's the scariest part about this? And he's like, oh, I might wear the wrong shirt. And I said, well, if you wear the wrong shirt, what will happen? You know, well, so what if you wear the wrong shirt? What, what's going to happen? What bad thing is going to happen to you? And he just stops, and he's like, oh, really, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> part of life and sometimes you'll have a, a couple or a partnership where one person explains more emotion than the other and the person who is less emotional will always be saying to the other person you're so emotional I can't count on you that's really backwards thinking their emotions are really good information sources so you should consider yourself fortunate 
that this other person has all these emotions and you can tap the research that they are. Um, so this pros and cons can be a really, really useful. As far as tools, it's something that I would say I use really a lot. And sometimes I'll use it in a comparing way um, to give different <coughs> options. And when we talk about different ways of comparing options, so let's, um, let's say you have some problem. We figured out what the question was. And um, let's use that barn example we had there. So we know we lost the barn. So we're going through the questions. And we decide the question really should be, let's say we lost the barn. We have $10,000 from the insurance company. And the question is, what should we do with the $10,000? So then you can have a strategy streaming brainstorm and get a bunch of strategies. So you probably have to collect some information about what you really need on your farm. You know, do you need a security blanket? So should it go on your savings account? Do you really need a barn because you just lost it and you have cows? You know, you can start getting some of these strategies and collect information that way. You might pros and cons them, but getting those strategies. And then once you have those strategies, here's an example where what I really wanted to do, I had a goal of increasing our brand recognition. A big part of our success was that we really branded ourselves. We were a brand name provider in the Twin Cities. So people didn't go into the store saying, hey, I want some organic sweet corn. And they came in and said, when is the Gardens Vegan organic sweet corn getting here? You know, it was branded. So here's an example where the question I asked was, how can I best increase our brand name recognition? And I came up with all these strategies. I could do in-store demos. I could do in-store price cards. I could write articles and put them in the newspaper. I could do farm tours. But I couldn't do them all. And so here's an example of that. I, I would want to compare multiple strategies to deal with this question. Um, I can't do them all. So guess what? I want to do the one that's going to have the biggest impact. Because I really want to get something done here because I want to do something besides farm in a day. And so you got all these different options. So some of the things I'm going to look at, you know, it's like who or what am I affecting? And so, well, in the demo, I'm only going to affect the people that I meet. And they're in a hurry and all that kind of stuff. And, if I make special price cards with my picture on them, they're going to look at that to get the price. So everyone who looks at that, I'm going to impact them. If I write a mix newspaper, I'm going to get everyone who reads it. Well, the mix has 50,000 people that receive it. They don't necessarily all read it, but I'm going to affect them probably one time. Or if I do farm tours, I'm going to affect the people who come. So I'm getting some sense of you know, how big my impact is. What's it, what am I going to have invested in? Time, money, time's pretty important to me. You know, does I have to do it? Could I send someone else to do it? What do I expect to have happen? The results. So if I do this, what can I expect my results to be? And then what's going to be my results long term? So that's a little way of gathering some information. After I looked at that, it was really easy to decide what I actually which strategy I was going to take. Um, so that's one way you can do that. Another example. Humans are often really binary. So sometimes if you give them too many options to look at once, it's really difficult. I just left the Moses board meeting and we picked the Farmer of the Year. We give a Farmer Year Award every year. And we had eight stellar candidates. And we really wanted every single one of them. It was really, really a hard decision. Um, and so we kind of whittled at them like we all voted. And then four had strong votes. And four, everyone got votes. You could only vote once, and we're all, there was only seven, eight of us. So as you can see, we had a problem. So we, we managed to win about three. 
And then we sort of voted backwards and forth. We all voted, we had discussions. We kept having the big discussions and we talked about all these strikes. But then we actually voted who we wanted to take off the list. Like which of these options do we least think is the right option? And in a sense, then you're voting for three because you're voting one off. And it's very fascinating because if we had just gone with the very first vote when we were comparing all eight, one person had like four and another person only had one, the person who had won ended up receiving the award because they were actually everybody's second vote. So they, they were the closest to everybody's best choice. So sometimes you can whittle at it forwards and backwards a little bit like that. Another good example is um, when we decided we wanted to sell a farm, well, we decided we wanted to quit farming. So the question really was, we don't want to farm anymore. What should we do with this farm that's all put together, you know, this pack shed, this irrigation? What should we do with all this stuff and with the business and all that? So we did a brainstorming session. We came up with 20 options that we thought actually had some viability that we wanted to explore further. So 20 options, I mean, like 20 ideas. It was like really overwhelming. I couldn't compare them all to each other. And what we ended up doing is we wrote out basic information about each of the options. And then we compared two at a time. And we said, if these were our two options, this one or this one, which one would we pick? And it was pretty easy to go, well, that's the better option of those two. So we got rid of one. And so we just kept comparing two at a time until we got down to one, to one option. And then we had our plan B and plan C and plan D because we looked at all these other options. And on a decision that big, I mean, this was a really big decision that was going to have some really long-term consequences. We wanted to have more than just plan A and B. We wanted to have a C and a D and E. So that's another example of a way you can um, pare down all those strategies. You know, I'm going to give you one more example. I did this a year ago. And this is an example of being creative in your decision making. You kind of want to make up these processes. Um, so I made this up. The question we were asking is, in 10 years, what do we want to be doing? What do we want to, where do we want to be in 10 years? What do we want to be doing? And we did a brainstorm and we came up with, I think, we set a rule we had to come up with 20. And then I said, which two are, are the defaults that if we don't make a decision and we just go forward with our lives as they are, are going to end up happening? Because if you don't make decisions oftentimes, it doesn't mean you're not going somewhere. You're still headed somewhere, but it might not be necessarily where you want to go. And so we said, what are the defaults? And we picked two things that we thought would be happening in 10 years, where we'd be if we just didn't really think about this and didn't put any consciousness to it. And then we rated them. So we made up a criteria. I, once, after I passed 50, I added, is it fun, to my criteria list. I said that to be an important criteria. But some of the other criteria were, how important will it be when I'm dead? How will important will it feel in 10 years at that time that I'm looking at it? So we wrote this, we wrote five criteria. And then we scored them all, one to five, individually. Martin scored his and I scored mine. And then we compared them. And the ones that got the, the lowest scores were our two defaults. So I just thought that was really fascinating. If we hadn't put any consciousness to this, we may have ended up being where we were most least interested in being. So pretty, I have a question. pretty key. One, what did you decide? What did we decide to do? Yeah, well, actually, we didn't go with the top score because it was um, move every month and live in a different rented apartment in a different city. <laughs> I meant um, actually before what the, um, you had in your decision making of the... Uh, this oh, one? Of oh, the, like, you decided yeah. to 
which one of those do you say? Well, the in-store price cards was something we did, and I think that was really important. We um, <coughs> took pictures of us in every single crop, and then made price cards with those pictures on them. So they saw us in the field, and they really got to feel like they knew us. It became really quite an intimate relationship. So really, a lot of people in our market think they know us. Like when I see them, they really feel like they know me and that I'm their friend. So I have to basically pretend I know everybody. <laughs> <laughs> they think that I know them. And they think it goes both ways, because I've been looking at them from the future. <laughs> um, that, was, that was really, really valuable. I've written some mixed articles, but I haven't done a lot of it. Mostly when I needed help. So you said it was obvious that that was your choice when you were saying about this earlier. So why is that one obvious? Because I look at all, all of them and I don't... In-store demos, I felt, were a complete waste of time. That's my personal feeling. A, I hate doing them. So if I have that, is it fun criteria, it's going to get a zero. It's going to get negative 10. I just hate doing them. And I just don't feel like I make meaningful impact. I connect with a couple of people. I don't feel, it may, it may get a couple of people engaged with me. I don't feel like I'm meeting enough people. The number of people I'm meeting isn't big enough for how I want to spend my time. It's not a big enough impact. Farm tours, we do do farm tours. But I've never pursued them. They, you know, if they call us, we do them if it works out. And I think of farm tours as important, but I don't think they do a lot for increasing my brand name reputation. I feel like they're important because I want to educate. So when I do a farm tour, it's because I want to educate. It's not because I think it's increasing my brand. So that's an example of, well, is it, it might be a good thing to do. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing to do, but if I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to accomplish this goal, increasing my recognition, that might not be a strategy that's going to accomplish that. But it seems like the newspaper. That actually is a good strategy. But it's I think it's a good strategy. But if you think about how many times you go to a store and look at the price of something, and if that's a sign that, um, is always being used in the store associated with your product. I can see. I think that had more impact than a newspaper article. Exactly. You know, like, and just even if you're making one visit and you look at the broccoli, you look at how much it is, see the picture, you go over here and you're like, oh, actually, maybe I do want some broccoli. How much? You've already looked at it twice. And yeah. I think that's a great idea. And they walk and in the store the and they all the signs were the same color scheme mm -hmm. and the same design and they all said, taste the differently different, eat local organic. All had the same little logo. So when they walked in, they jumped out. You could see all the Gardens of Eden product in the store. And it was a really good strategy because <coughs> I did this before many people had computers, and I had no computer skills. And I, I had a 250 megabyte computer. So I had all these pictures on these little zip drives. Well, before that, I had them on floppies. I mean, it, was, it was actually a lot. Of, I invested a lot into this. Now it would be much simpler. And I didn't have a digital camera. I bought a scanner, I had to buy a $3,000 computer. I, I invested a lot into this. But I was so ahead of the curve. It was before anybody. I mean, now this is pretty common practice. Even Golden Club Chicken does it, you know? You can see the farmer that grew their chicken. But at that point in time, nobody was doing it. So I was way ahead of the curve. And my main, they talk about competitive advantage. There was the other main organic vegetable grower in the store, in the, in the community. When he saw those signs, his jaw dropped. <laughs> I'm way behind. I really had the competitive advantage when I did that. And he quickly made signs, but they were never had photos on <coughs> So I always had the competitive advantage on that. 
But it's friendly competitiveness. It's not cutthroat competitiveness. We weren't tr going after the state crop. We were both trying to make our, our name known. We were competing in that realm, but we were going different crops. For more information on Farm Beginnings, see www.farmbeginnings.org. That's farmbeginnings.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.